Hi, everybody. This is Gary Sandy, and thank you very much for listening to the WKRP cast. So just sit right down, relax, open your ears real wide, and say... Weather today in the greater Cincinnati area. Are you awake? Whoa! Are you awake now? But the senator, while insisting he was not intoxicated, could not explain his nudity. Say what? Dear God, she's going to kill us all. Welcome to the WKRP cast. My name is Donna Stair. And I'm her husband, Alan. This is a week-by-week, episode-by-episode rewatch. We're getting into the music, the trivia, and the fun of WKRP. So, fellow babies, don't touch that dial. It's time for the WKRP cast. I'm at WKRP in Cincinnati. Welcome back to another WKRP cast. We're getting a little chilly today. What's our episode, Donna? We are ready to discuss Baby It's Cold Inside. The air date was the 3rd of January, 1981. Written by Blake Hunter, story editor Lisa Levin. Executive story consultants Steve Marshall and Dan Gunselman. Directed by Rod Daniel. The heat has gone out at the Flim building. However, Johnny has ideas of his own on how to keep his co-workers warm. And Happy New Year! This is the first episode of 1981. The show is still hanging out on Saturday nights at 8 p.m. 7 central. This is the longest run the series will have in a regular time slot. Even though the time slot has been stable since the late start to the new season in November, Saturday nights are not great for ratings. Last week, there was a small bright spot. Instead of a new episode, the December 27, 1980 slot was filled by a rerun of Turkeys Away with a special newly recorded introduction from Gary Sandy. Hi, I'm Gary Sandy. You know, of all the shows we've done on WKRP in the first three seasons, not one show ever generated the amount of mail, the amount of interest, as a show we did our very first season. It was called Turkeys Away. So we kind of thought you might like to see it again. It's about Thanksgiving. So naturally, we've chosen the Christmas season to show it to you. Happy holidays. Drums, please. Well, the word about turkeys must have spread from the previous year. This was before you could pop on a DVD or stream a favorite episode whenever you wanted. Catching it as a rerun would be the only way to see it. The rerun ranked number 18 for the week. The heat from the rerun carried over to this week. Baby It's Cold Inside would notch a number 14 ranking out of all shows aired this week. In a season marked by huge productions like Bah Humbug and groundbreaking experiments like Real Families, this simple story will become the highest rated episode of the entire third season. By next week, the surge will have ended. Holiday schedules and time off with family are most likely what allowed those couple of Saturdays to garner a bigger audience. Once people's lives return to non-holiday schedules, the show drops back to the 30s, then the very chilly depths of the 40s. For the rest of the season, most new episodes will only finish in the 40s or even low 50s. The episode title is, of course, a play on the title of the Frank Lesser-written 1949 hit, Baby, It's Cold Outside. The song doesn't mention a holiday, but it's always been associated with Christmas. 
There have been more than 65 covers of Baby since its introduction in 1949. John Legend and Kelly Clarkson just had a hit with it in 2019. Even though the only place anyone ever sees a WKRP episode title is in the TV guide listing, the writers do like to have fun with their titles. All right, get your coats on. We're heading into the studio. And since we're in the studio, we got a little bit of a poster watch. Now, checking shoot order, this episode shot right after A Mile in My Shoes. So most of those posters we saw as new in Mile are still there, like the Doors Red Wedge poster. We've got Jeff Beck carrying his guitar, Huey Lewis in the news under the window, and you can still see a corner of that police poster. Over in the spot where we saw the Stanley Clark poster is a new promo for the Ronnie Montrose band, Gamma. Montrose was the heavy metal lead guitarist and session man who'd been a part of the Edgar Winter Group. He also led his own prog rock band, Montrose, in the late 70s. This is the second album for Gamma called Gamma 2. And yeah, the first album was called Gamma 1. And there would be a third album called Gamma 3. Ronnie not very creative with his album titles. (laughs) Gamma was a more progressive band than Montrose. Now, unless you were really into Ronnie Montrose, this one probably passed you by. With your hands in the kitty, you got it. There were no hits, and it only peaked at number 160 on the album chart. It does have a very cool album cover. It's a suburban lawn with shark fins slicing through it. The cover was designed by English illustrator Mick Haggerty, who'd won a Grammy for the Super Tramp Breakfast in America cover. That was a great cover, Breakfast in America. We open on the studio where Johnny, all bundled up in his coat and knit cap, is jumping up and down trying to keep warm while listening to Pete Townsend coming to the end of Rough Boys. Johnny hops over to the mic. He announces that it's 8.07 a.m. and he starts Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen. Johnny playing some hits. Rough Boys was the first U.K. single from 1980's Empty Glass. That's the first solo album by Pete Townsend. Townsend, of course, the quite famous co-founder, lead guitarist, and secondary vocalist for The Who. He also wrote more than 100 Who songs. Following the 1978 death of Who drummer Keith Moon, the future of the band was uncertain. The prolific Townsend decided to strike out on his own with empty glass. Townsend has described himself as probably bisexual, which explains the song's overtly homoerotic lyrics. Although it was the first single released in the UK, it was the third release from the album in the US, coming after Let My Love Open the Door and A Little Is Enough. Rough Boys is considered by many critics to be Townsend's greatest solo effort, but it only made it to number 89 on the Billboard Hot 100. Johnny goes into Hungry Heart by Bruce Springsteen. 
Hungry Heart was the first single from The Boss's fifth studio album, The River. The River, released in October of 1980, was the follow-up to Darkness on the Edge of Town. It was a double-length album containing 20 songs, and it is considered a rock and roll milestone. The River went to number one on the Billboard album chart. Hungry Heart would peak at number five on the U.S. Billboard Hot 100. Hungry Heart also made it to number 44 on the UK singles chart, giving Springsteen his first ever charted single in Britain. Jennifer comes into the studio wearing a below-the-knee white mink. Well, it's really a light gray. She asks Johnny what happened to the heat. Johnny explains the building's furnace must have gone out last night. I don't like this. Do something. Well... We could huddle together. (laughs) Jennifer just stares at Johnny with no expression. So Johnny suggests doing what he's been doing to help take the chill off. Smiling, he pulls out a bottle of brandy from beneath the control booth. At 8 o'clock in the morning? I don't think so. You know, of course, that liquor is not allowed at the station. Yeah. Jennifer goes on to say she thinks it's against FCC regulations. Yeah, so it's freezing to death. (laughs) Johnny takes a sip from his mug, telling Jennifer it really warms you up. Sure don't want Johnny holds his mug, and that's his name mug. Yes, we see the names. of liquor up to Jennifer. Well, maybe just a little sip. (laughs) Not very much, though. No. These are unusual circumstances. Now, they mention FCC rules about drinking. We scanned FCC.gov to see if there are specific rules against being drunk on the air. As far as we can tell, there really aren't. The FCC does restrict prurient or obscene material, and there's always the concern a drunk DJ is going to say something improper. There are also restrictions against running a transmitter drunk. Since most DJs in the late 70s and early 80s had FCC third-class licenses, they had to stay sober to take transmitter readings. (laughs) Most stations also had internal station policies against being drunk on the air. And showing up for a board shift drunk would probably get you fired. I bet in reality, though, you've listened to more drunk DJs than you know. (laughs) Probably. A lot of guys need a shot or two just to get on the air. (laughs) Jennifer takes the mug and puts it to her lips. Johnny takes the bottle (laughs) and removes the cap (laughs) as he casually begins talking to Jennifer. He's feeling very comfortable. Yes. You know, Jennifer, I've been wondering... uh... (laughs) (laughs) Just... How we could get together for an intimate little drink. Yuck. Jennifer is making a face after swallowing the booze from Johnny's mug. And somehow I thought you'd say that. (laughs) And we noticed a Cincinnati Inquirer newspaper behind Johnny laying on the control board. Love those Cincinnati details. Great touches. Jennifer tells Johnny she was referring to what was in his mug. He's kind of tingly, though. Tingly? (laughs) And warm, down to the toes. Jennifer puts her high-heeled foot on the table, revealing her white-stockinged lower leg. 
Johnny stares as he observes. You don't hardly have any shoes on. <laughs> Why, Johnny, thank you for noticing. <laughs> Jennifer puts her foot over in Johnny's lap, and he raises his leg so it rests on the knee of her other leg. I got these at Hoffman's department store last week. Johnny is caressing Jennifer's foot as he encourages her to continue talking. Now, I thought this was a, a cool move with her leg yeah. and his leg. And I was like, did they just do that? Or was that actually choreographed? You know, as complex as that is, I think they probably choreographed it. I think they worked that out ahead of time. She tells him about how happy she was to find this shoe in this particular color. She says she had to go all the way to Dallas to find it. Jennifer mentions finding her pale gray shoes at Hoffman's in Dallas. We couldn't find any reference to a Hoffman's ever having been in Dallas, but we did find a Hoffman's department store in Niles, Ohio. It was originally founded in the 1880s and continued operation until at least the 1960s. No word on their selection of pale gray shoes. Jennifer reaches down and takes her shoe off. Why don't we toast this particular color? Oh, all righty. To pale gray. Pale gray it is. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer takes another drink from Johnny's mug as Johnny tips the bottle back for a long swig. We see Mrs. Carlson. Mama walks by the studio (laughs) window. Johnny catches sight of Mama as the bottle is tipped all the way up. He almost spits out his mouthful as he realizes who he's just seen. Jennifer is in a happy pale gray land (laughs) as Johnny is sputtering trying to talk. Don't you just love pale gray? Yeah. <clears throat> uh, Jennifer, not to change the subject, but were you expecting Mr. Carlson's mother to come by the station today? Jennifer tells Johnny no. He asks her if Mrs. Carlson ever drops by unannounced. Never. She takes another drink from the mug. Johnny looks at the bottle in his hand, blaming the drink on who he thought he saw. I guess I... Should give you your shoe back. No, you keep it as a souvenir. (laughs) As a souvenir? I love it. (laughs) Johnny rubs Jennifer's shoe to his cheek. (laughs) He's liking that pale gray shoe. (laughs) You know what? No, what? I feel so warm. Oh, me too, Jennifer, me too, you know. They're both giggling as they take another swig from their drinks. Mrs. Carlson appears in the window. This time she stops to stare in at the two of them, (laughs) and Johnny drops the bottle from his mouth. As a matter of fact, I'm starting to sweat. As Johnny's heating up, we're heading into our theme song. WKRP in Cincinnati. Mama Carlson walks into Mr. Carlson's office with Jennifer following behind. Jennifer is still carrying the mug full of booze that Johnny gave her. She's walking unevenly because she's only wearing one shoe. Yeah, you remember Johnny is still hanging on to that other one as a souvenir. I think he's still rubbing it on yeah, his face. Might be. <laughs> I usually don't drink. <laughs> Neither do I, at least not at eight in the morning. Jennifer tells Mama to make herself comfortable. Well, she does in the seat behind Carlson's desk. Arthur tells me he's at his desk every morning at seven. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer suddenly realizes she made that noise out loud. (laughs) She quickly tries to recover. What a laugh. He's here every day at six. He comes in at six? Usually six. 
But today he's just a little late. Mrs. Carlson is shivering. She eyes the mug Jennifer left sitting on the desk. You know, I think I might just have a touch of this brandy. I've never been so cold in my life. Jennifer tells her to help herself. Mama takes a swallow, which brings us to... The line of the episode. <coughs> Good Lord. Where does, where does Fever get this stuff? I think at a hardware store. <laughs> Back, back over there behind the lawn equipment. Where you get all of your fine That's decor. where you get your best booze is at the hardware <laughs> store. So Mama sets the mug back down on the desk. Jennifer picks up the mug and pours some of the brandy into the coffee cups that she's brought over for the two of them. Mama is chuckling over giving Johnny a good scare earlier. Jennifer tells her she did scare him just a little. Nice to know I haven't lost my touch. <laughs> oh, no, Mrs. Carlson, you could never do that. <laughs> I don't scare you, though, do I? What a lovely coat. <laughs> Thank you. Just a little something I threw on. Same here. <laughs> Eyeing Jennifer up and down, Mama asks her just how much her son is paying her. All things considered, not nearly enough. <laughs> Every time these two get together, I love the sparring, the power games. It's always great. And we also noticed the contrast between Mama's dark brown mink coat and Jennifer's light gray mink, good versus evil, yin, yang. Darth Vader versus Luke. <laughs> Jennifer sits on the couch as Mama begins drilling her for some information. Mama wants to know if she knows who's a hard worker. Yes. Who's ambitious. Yes. Who's fooling around with whom? That too. <laughs> well, who is fooling around with whom? No one. No one. <laughs> Mama seems a bit disappointed, she tells Jennifer, when her husband Hank was running the station, it was like a soap opera around there. Mama asks Jennifer if Mr. Carlson has told her much about her late husband. Jennifer asks her to tell her what he was like. Let's order two more brandies. Ooh, all righty. <laughs> we'll order down for two more. Jennifer walks over to the phone on Art's desk and dials. Johnny, Mrs. Carlson would like to see you in Mr. Carlson's office. But you must come and bring the bottle. Bring the bottle. Mrs. Carlson mentioned soap operas, daytime serials with open-ended narratives and romantic storylines can be traced back to a show called Painted Dreams in 1930. It aired on WGN Radio during the day so housewives could tune in. As radio serials made the move to TV in the 1940s and 50s, Procter & Gamble began to sponsor and, for a while, even produce the shows. P&G was selling soap to housewives at every break, and the name was born. Soaps reached a peak of popularity in 1970 with 19 different titles on the air. By 1990, that number had dropped to 12. Today, only four remain. The Bold and the Beautiful and The Young and the Restless on CBS, Days of Our Lives on NBC, and General Hospital on ABC. The longest-running soap opera in history was Guiding Light. 
It started on radio in 1937, made the move to TV in 1952, and finally ended its run in 2009 as the longest story ever told in broadcasting. Although soap operas are an American invention, the longest-running soap still on the air is the UK's Coronation Street. It premiered in 1960. Although it's now a daily, Coronation Street hasn't racked up as many episodes as U.S. soaps because it was only on twice a week for most of its run. Did your mom ever watch soap operas? My mom was a soap fanatic. I think Days of Our Lives was her favorite. Well, what was the one about world... Uh, as the world turns. As that's what my yes. grandma used to watch. Oh, yeah. Um, All My Children was, was the one my mom watched. And that was Susan Lucci, right? All yes. My Children? Yeah. Mrs. Carlson begins telling Jennifer about her husband, Hank. She describes him as a big hulk of a man with a youthful Huck Finn-type quality about him. And Huck Finn was the creation of American author Mark Twain. Huck first appeared in The Adventures of Tom Sawyer in 1876. Huck was Tom's best boyhood friend and son of the town drunkard, Pap Finn. Huck was described as idle, lawless, vulgar, and bad. Twain says the character was based on a real person, Tom Blankenship. Tom was the son of a sawmill laborer and sometime drunkard who lived behind Twain's boyhood home in Hannibal, Missouri. Huck would get his own book in Twain's sequel to Tom Sawyer, The Adventures of Huckleberry Finn, written in 1884. So I guess Hank was a little bit of a bad boy. Yeah, and just devil may care. We hear footsteps thundering up to the door of the office as Johnny comes running at full speed into the room, carrying the bottle of brandy. Realizing he entered without knocking first, even though the door was wide open, Johnny shakily (laughs) backs out and, using the bottle, taps on the door... Jennifer tells him to come in. Johnny nonchalantly walks into the room, the bottle in one hand, Jennifer's shoe in the other. He looks at the two women. Boy, this is too good to be true. I mean, two magnificent ladies uh, just sitting here, uh, sipping brandy, uh, discussing God knows what. (laughs) I tell you, it's really a high-voltage turn-on for me. Basically, I think everybody I know would probably give their eye teeth to be here. (laughs) For that reason, I'll be very quiet and I'll just sit down over here. This is a private conversation, Fever. I love picturing Johnny's progress from the studio to Art's office just running through the station at full speed. Johnny looks at Mama, who tells him to put the bottle on the desk. Taking the lid off the bottle, Johnny prepares to pour some brandy into the mug for himself. Well, I I guess uh, since you're drinking, it's... uh... All right, if I drink. I don't work here. Oh, that's a good point. Good point. (laughs) Johnny pours, or he tries to pour, the brandy from the mug back into the bottle. He fumbles as he puts the cap on the bottle, and he has made a mess. He spilled brandy in that silver tray. He tries to make his exit as quickly as possible. He's wiping up the mess. He actually dumps the tray out on the floor as he stammers. What a shame that you don't, ma'am. Uh, many is the time I've said that. Believe me, I, I wish you were around more often. 
and I mean that sincerely, I do. Truly, ma'am. Miss, uh, mister. Awkwardly, Johnny grabs the door and closes it behind him, relieved to get out of there. Travis enters the lobby to begin his day, just as Johnny is making his way across the lobby to go back to the studio. Travis asks Johnny why it's so cold. Heat. There's no heat. No, Effendi, no heat. <laughs> now, Johnny referred to Andy as Effendi. Johnny was probably lifting it from the 1962 movie Lawrence of Arabia. We know how Johnny likes to quote movies. Yes. Effendi is an Ottoman Turkish word meaning learned man or possibly nobility. It was first used during the Ottoman and Byzantine empires in the 13th and 14th centuries, although some uses carried into 20th century British military. It's comparable to the French monsieur or the English sir as a title of respect. Johnny is blaming the cold on Mrs. Carlson. Mr. Carlson's mother is here. She walks in, everything freezes. She is the ice queen. And she has powers beyond any mortal woman. Are you drinking? At this hour of the morning, are you insane? But if I had been drinking and the ice queen saw me, would I be fired? Yeah, I guess you would. Yeah. Johnny tells Travis they must prepare his defense. <laughs> and he pulls him toward the studio. And he tells Johnny he really should go talk to Mrs. Carlson first. No, 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 no. You must hear the true facts from these lips first, please. If now, remember, this is the guy who could not get drunk after doing shots in Fish Story. What is in that brandy of his? Yeah, that uh, hardware store brandy's got a kick. <laughs> Johnny pulls Travis through the lobby toward the studio. Travis notices Jennifer is not at her desk. He asks where she is. Johnny pulls Jennifer's shoe out of his pocket and he holds it up to Travis. This is all that's left of her. <laughs> Kissing the shoe, Johnny heads back to the studio with a dazed Travis following him. We cut back to Mama and Jennifer in Mr. Carlson's office. They are both still bundled in their fur coats and still enjoying a bit of brandy in their coffee. I was on the Broadway stage. Does that surprise you? Jennifer tells Mama it is a little bit of a surprise. She asks Mama what year that was. Mama just smiles at Jennifer, but does not answer. I started in the chorus, but I had talent. And before long, the parts got better. That's how I met Hank. Now, Mama, of course, is being played by Carol Bruce. For a look at Carol Bruce's bio, make sure and check out our episode, Mama's Review. But right here, we did want to make sure and mention, Carol Bruce really did get her start on Broadway. She was discovered by Irving Berlin when she was singing at a nightclub in Newark, New Jersey. He cast her in the 1940 Broadway production of Louisiana Purchase as Beatrice. To be discovered by Irving yeah. Berlin, of all people. Mama tells Jennifer how Hank came backstage after a show and congratulated her on her magnificent performance. And I congratulated him on his magnificent shoulders. <laughs> <laughs> Jennifer comments, it sounds like love at first sight. Mama tells Jennifer the man was corny and so Midwestern. He ran out and bought her some violets. They were married six months later. And he fished. Oh, God, did he. <laughs> then Mama opened up a bit more. She tells Jennifer how Hank loved having a good time 
and often neglected the business. She explains little by little she got involved, and she says she was good at it. After a while, I was running the whole thing. I just took over. So Mama admits her taking over the business hurt Hank. But I was too busy to notice. He felt unnecessary. And in the end, I guess that's what really... Mama kind of lets her last spoken thought dangle out there. Jennifer is feeling uncomfortable, and she gets up from the couch. I guess I better get back to my little desk. You know, people worry when I'm not there. (laughs) She grabs the bottle of brandy as she heads for the door. Mama quickly tells Jennifer she better leave the bottle of brandy there in the office. Wouldn't look good to have it sitting in the lobby. (laughs) Yeah, wouldn't look good. Jennifer looks at Mama, laughs a little, and then pours more brandy into each of their cups. Mama tells Jennifer she thinks she will buzz the booth and let Fever know he still has a job. Oh, that's nice. But do you think you ought to do it right away? (laughs) They both laugh, clink cups, and take another sip. We cut to the lobby. Everything is cut to continuity and happening in real time. Jennifer comes out of Mr. Carlson's office with her cup of brandy. She's still laughing from the little joke about calling Johnny about still having a job. Herb enters the lobby in his usual fashion. Hi, gorgeous. Any messages? Jennifer just starts giggling. <laughs> Herb looks at Jennifer confused and a little bit unsure. Okay, fine. He begins walking quickly to the door leading to the bullpen. Jennifer kind of chases after him. Herbie! Take off your coat and let me see if your belt matches your shoes. I Herbie. love it, Herbie. I love that. Herb doesn't question it. He just unbuttons his suit jacket, opens it up so Jennifer can see his white belt. Okie dokie. A confused Herb just heads through the door to the bullpen. And there really is no fashion alert. Herb is wearing a gray overcoat and he's looking pretty good. Yes, the white belt does match the white shoes, but we're used to that. The phone on Jennifer's desk begins to ring. Jennifer looks around as if she doesn't know where it's coming from or what to do. The phone continues to ring, and we see there's this little cover over her phone. It's a phone cozy. It's (laughs) phone cozy. (laughs) Like those covers you used to see over toasters and mixers when they'd sit out on the kitchen counter. Everybody's grandmother had those. Oh, sure. Jennifer pulls the cover off of the phone and picks up the receiver. Hi-ho, WKRP. (laughs) No, I'm sorry, Les Nessman is not in, and we don't know when he will be in. He's a very strange man. (laughs) Oh, this is Les. Hi, Les, this is Jennifer. (laughs) The message is, you will be late today. Uh Uh-huh. No, of course I'm writing this down. (laughs) And you will be at this number. Okay, fine, 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 fine. Thank you for calling WKRP in Cincinnati. (laughs) (laughs) Jennifer hangs up the phone and takes a seat at her desk as Andy walks into the lobby. Hiya, Jennifer. Uh, Listen, uh, Johnny told me what happened. Andy, let's see the boy. Give us a spin. (laughs) Jennifer's making a circle motion with her hand as she smiles at Andy. Andy looks at Jennifer like he has no idea who this woman even <laughs> is. What? Spin. Andy goes ahead and, just like with Herb, they're just more than happy to please Jennifer. Andy puts his arms in the air and he does a turn. I understand that uh, Mrs. Carlson's here, right? Uh-huh. Why is she here? Jennifer tells Andy she told her it was for a very good reason. Well, Andy tells Jennifer he'll straighten it all out and he starts to go into Carlson's office. Jennifer stops him. Is that my shoe? (laughs) Jennifer has put her foot up on her desk and is wriggling her toes. 
Andy walks over to Jennifer and looking at her foot, contemplates putting her shoe on for her. He begins to touch her foot a couple of times. (laughs) Then he gives up, handing her the shoe. (laughs) Flustered, Andy heads for Carlson's office. I think that was a good choice there on his part. (laughs) So in Art's office, Mama is on the phone. Ashley, you're a reprobate and a bum. We'll talk more later. Come in. Pretty sure Mama's talking to Johnny here. (laughs) Reprobate caught our ear. As an archaic term, it comes from Calvinism. A reprobate was a hardcore sinner who rejected scripture and was predestined to damnation. More modern uses of the word tend to be humorous or affectionate. It still means unprincipled or improper, but the hellfire and brimstone have been dropped from modern meanings of reprobate. Mama sees Travis, smiles, and tells him to come in. Andy apologizes for the cold temperatures in the office. Mama tells him to close the door. She takes a seat on the couch. And I want to apologize for uh, Johnny Fever. Sit down. Travis thanks her and heads over to sit in Art's chair. And not over there. (laughs) Over here. Mama pats the seat of the couch next to her where she is sitting. Andy hesitates for a moment and then walks over to the couch, sits down, crosses his right ankle over his left knee. Mama smiles at him and puts her hand on his right knee. So you're a cowboy. (laughs) Mama is smiling as she looks at a nervous Andy. I think she likes putting them in those positions. Oh, she loves messing with them. them. She just loves messing with them. So we cut into the studio where Johnny's in the DJ chair. He's putting an album into its cover when Venus comes walking in. We hear in the background Duke of Earl by Gene Chandler. Venus is bundled up in a brown leather jacket with a scarf and gloves on. Yawning, Venus says hi to Johnny, who answers back with a very unenthusiastic. Hey. Venus looks at Johnny and says, Well, as he moves his hand in a go ahead, explain kind of motion. Well, what? You call me, you woke me up? All right. You told me to rush down here, you were in big trouble. Yeah, I am. Tanya, Charles's mother keeps calling me, you know, vague threats, that kind of stuff. What? <laughs> Duke of Earl was a 1962 hit for Eugene Dixon, a.k.a. Gene Chandler. It went to number one in January of 1962, where it stayed for three weeks. It remained on the charts for a total of 15 weeks. It was such a monumental part of Chandler's career, he later dubbed himself the Duke of Earl. Duke of Earl. This world, nothing can stop Duke of Earl was selected by the Rock and Roll Hall of Fame as one of the 500 songs that shaped rock and roll. Johnny brings Venus up to speed on the latest. She caught me drinking, man. Here, on the air. Oh, man. Yeah. Johnny goes on explaining to Venus, if Andy can't straighten this one out, he is screwed. Not just here, but wherever he goes. Concerned, Venus asked Johnny what he can do for him. Why don't you just go home and get some sleep? You look wrecked. <laughs> Poor 
penis. In the bullpen, Herb is sitting at his desk, his coat on and buttoned up, and Bailey is on the phone. She's wearing her coat, gloves, and a scarf around her neck. She's getting rather loud on the phone. As a matter of fact, I do speak for the whole station. Now I want heat, and I want it now. It just so happens that because of the cold, our general sales manager, Herbert R. Tarlick Jr., has lost all feeling in his lower extremities. <laughs> so, let's get on the stick down there. Thank you and goodbye. <laughs> Bailey slams the phone down. And you want to do that uh, no feeling in his lower extremities being honorable mention for line of the episode. But his reaction to that. That's what really slowly looks one. up from his desk. And we talked about how he makes his, his hairline, hairline move. His hairline moves back and his eyebrows. And, and he's just so expressive. Venus walks into the bullpen. Bailey offers to get him some coffee. And we have a poster watch. To the left of the bullpen door is a reprint of a roll. Stone cover featuring Mick Jones and Joe Strummer from The Clash. The original cover shot was taken by Annie Leibovitz and appeared on the April 17th, 1980 issue. The poster reprint doesn't have the headline or feature copy from the original cover. In the hallway to the right of the bullpen door is a Super Tramp poster promoting their album, Super Tramp Paris. It was a two-record live set recorded in Paris on November 29th of 1979. Andy enters the bullpen. Hey, you know what? Carlson's mother's in his office. Venus asks why. Travis says he doesn't know. It's all very strange. I think that she's drunk, if you can believe that. <laughs> I think Jennifer's been drinking a little bit, too. She has. Oh, that got Herb's <laughs> attention. Herb tosses his pencil on the desk, suddenly very interested. I think Herb is realizing he may have missed a great opportunity. <laughs> you see the wheels turning in his head. I thought she was just making fun of me. <laughs> Herb quickly heads to the doors of the bullpen. He's headed for the lobby. Where are you going? If Jennifer's drunk, I gotta take my shot. Travis <laughs> looks Herb right in the eyes. Listen, Herb, you fool around with Jennifer today and you're a dead man. You mean killed or merely fired? <laughs> a dead man. Oh, well, hell. Herb sits back down at his desk. Actually killed or merely fired? I love that <laughs> distinction there. So Travis pulls up a chair and sits down. I just had this very strange conversation with Mrs. Carlson in which, and I'm not kidding, she put her hand on my knee. <laughs> Bailey and Venus are looking at each other as they try to hold back laughter. Andy just looks put out. My right knee. Now, what do you make of that? So laughing, Venus tells Andy he doesn't know what to say. Bailey and Venus are just outright laughing now. Andy tells them she kept calling him cowboy. Cowboy? Boy, Andy, sounds serious. <laughs> Les has entered, and he asks them... What's serious? Bailey answers dramatically... Mr. Carlson's mother touched Andy's person. <laughs> Where? <laughs> what we call the knee. Les asks them, why? Because, Les, she's been drinking, and I guess Andy tried to make a move. Andy jumps up from his chair. She was just trying to be friendly. And oh, this is disgusting. It's not disgusting. It's far from it. She was just, she was. He is so flustered, he can't think of what to say. 
So Venus stands up and he puts his coffee cup down on the desk. Well, I've lost a great deal of respect for you both. He gives this flick of his scarf around his neck and he starts walking out of the bullpen with Andy chasing after him, trying to explain. He was not there. I'm sorry, this is white folks' business. <laughs> Venus leaves the bullpen with Andy yelling after him. He says she was just trying to be cordial for a change. Andy closes the door and turns to go back over by Bailey's desk. Bailey stands up and tells Andy, I just cannot listen to any more of this. Andy looks at Herb and Les, telling them she was just trying to be nice. Actually, right now would be a good time to hit her up for some station improvements. Andy takes a drink from his coffee cup. Herb is sitting at his desk looking at some papers preparing to drop a major bomb. This is all so unfair. I can't go see Jennifer, but you can get it on with Mr. Carlson's mother. <laughs> Oh, you, you see the anger in Andy's eyes. He slowly puts his cup on Bailey's desk, and then he raises his arms to each side. Les, Les you hold me back before I kill you. <laughs> Les ignores him and not saying a word. He just walks out of the bullpen, leaving Andy standing there. You know, when most people get angry, they're like, hold move real fast, hold and they back. throw things. But Andy moves slowly, yeah. and that's even scarier. Menacing. <laughs> Back in Carlson's office, Mama is sitting on the couch sipping from her coffee cup when there's a knock on the door. She tells them to come in. The door opens slowly, and we see Les peek his head around the door. That's where Les went. Yeah, he saw an opening. <laughs> Mr. Nessman, what's new? Les shuts the door behind him, and then he addresses Mrs. Carlson. Do you know that I have no walls? <laughs> <laughs> Excuse me. No walls. My office doesn't have any walls. And Les has such a one-track mind. It's all about the walls. Yes. Mama tells Les to sit down and tell her about it. She motions to the seat on the couch beside her. Les thanks her, and he sits as far as he can get to the end opposite Mrs. Carlson. As he sinks slowly <laughs> into the couch, we hear very definite <laughs> farting sounds coming from the couch cushions. And leather I, on leather, you know, rubbing. I don't know how the two of them did not bust up. Oh, thank you. Les hops over and plops down right next to Mrs. Carlson after a moment's hesitation, and very awkwardly, he puts his hand on Mrs. Carlson's knee. We see her eyebrows go up as the scene fades. And Les is wearing his gray knit gloves, which make his hands look huge, yeah, and that big knee, hand and sitting on her knee. Right in the foreground. Yeah, very funny. Back in the bullpen, Herb is sitting at his desk, and he's still in his coat when Mrs. Carlson and Les enter. Mrs. Carlson has her hand in the crook of Les's arm as they walk in laughing. Mrs. Carlson says hello to Herb as they walk up by his desk. Mother Carlson, how nice to see you. What a lovely surprise. Down, boy. Yes, <laughs> Les takes Mama Carlson over to his office to show her no walls. See, Mrs. Carlson, no walls. I put the tape where walls should be. Really? Yes. To me, these 
are walls. He pantomimes, putting his hands on the walls as he says this. My list, that's positively insane. <laughs> I adore it. Les looks at Mrs. Carlson. He's confused. He tells her he doesn't understand. Well, a person who thinks he has walls is infinitely more interesting than one who does. I mean, why be cooped up with walls when you can have tape? It's ingenious. <laughs> Mom is laughing, but Les is not happy about this. He tells Mama she doesn't understand. I understand perfectly. Mama taps her index finger on Les's nose as she's saying this. Then she exclaims she wants some music as she glides across the bullpen. Herb quickly runs over to the speaker on the wall, anxious to make Mama happy, and he says he will do it. Music. He turns the volume button up on the speaker, turns to smile at Mrs. Carlson as we hear Ray Charles singing Tell the Truth. Mama covers her ears and screams for Herb to turn it off. <laughs> now, this is not the first time we've heard Tell the Truth by Ray Charles in the series. This is one of Johnny's personal favorites, I think. He played it, and we did feature it in the episode Venus Rising. So go check that out for details. Bailey enters the bullpen and says hello to Mrs. Carlson. Mrs. Carlson asks Bailey if she likes Gershwin. Bailey tells her yes, very much. As owner of this station, I would like to hear it. I am making a request. Bailey explains to Mama that she's sorry, but Andy doesn't allow requests. And even if he did... I doubt if Johnny Fever would play it. Fever is a bum and a reprobate. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Mama asks where Johnny is. Bailey tells her he's in the booth. Mama thanks Bailey and starts toward the door. Mama leaves the bullpen. Uh, we know Mama must be pretty drunk. She had to ask where Johnny was. And she's been calling him all morning and harassing and him in the booth. she knows he's in the booth, yes. So we cut into the studio where Johnny's putting albums away when Mama Carlson enters. We can hear a little snip of music playing. Now, on the Shout Factory disc, this was a replacement. If you had been listening in January of 1981, you would have heard a little bit of a clip of Rye Cooter and Getaway. It sounded like this. Hi. Look, I'm not drinking. But unfortunately, on the Shout Factory disc, we only got this instead. <laughs> I'm not drinking. Mama walks up to Johnny and puts a long, red-nailed pointer finger in Johnny's face. She's swaying a bit on her unsteady feet. Gershwin, do you know of him? Johnny says, yeah. Play him. On the air? <laughs> Mama, Mama nods her head. Yes. Johnny shakes his head. No. Weren't you drinking this morning? Johnny admits it. He nods his head. Yes. Want me to forget about it? Johnny nods his head very quickly in small up and down motion. Do you know how business deals are struck in this country? <laughs> Johnny again nods. Yes. Will you play Gershwin for me? Johnny's fighting it. He shakes his head. No. In short, fast, back and forth motions. Have you enjoyed working in this hemisphere? 
By the slump of his shoulders, you can tell Johnny has given in. We see Andy walking down the hallway outside the studio when he hears an instrumental version of Someone to Watch Over Me by the New York Philharmonic. Johnny tries to explain the cut by saying, This is WKRP, where the doctor dares to be different. (laughs) Andy quickly does a U-turn and goes into the studio. He asks Johnny what he's doing. Saving my butt the American way. (laughs) He got into the bullpen where Mrs. Carlson is singing Someone to Watch Over Me as Bailey, Les, and Herb listen. Herb is mouthing the words (laughs) along with her as Mama sings. Mama walks over to Lass. Although he may not be the man some girls think of as handsome, my heart, he carries the Les looks at Mama and gives her a huge grin. And now a special look at this episode's bandage placement for the five-time Buckeye NewsHawk Award winner, Les Nessman. This is the Les Nessman Bandage Report. Now here's Donna Stare with her report about Les Nessman. Right side of neck. This has been a look at the bandage placement for Silver Sow and Copper Cob award-winning journalist Les Nessman. Mrs. Carlson then walks over to Venus, who's sitting at the DJ desk. He's got his jacket zipped all the way up to his nose. Then he's got that scarf across his face. Only his eyes are peeking out. Still singing, she puts her hands on his shoulders as Andy enters the bullpen. Someone to Watch Over Me goes back to 1926. Music by George Gershwin, lyrics by his brother Ira. It was written for the musical OK as a fast and jazzy up-tempo swing tune. There's somebody I'm It wasn't popularized until the 1930s and 40s when singers recorded it in the slower ballad style, which became the standard. Notably, Frank Sinatra included it on his first album in 1946. I'm a little lamb who's lost in the wood. I know I could, could always be good. To one who walks over me. His slow rendition would help cement the ballad style for the song. To date, there have been more than 1,800 recordings of someone to watch over me. Mama reaches out and she tugs on Andy's coat collar, pulling him on into the bullpen. Mama sings her way over to Herb. As she is still singing, she touches Herb's (laughs) hair. She pulls her hand away, kind of rubbing her fingers together like there's something on them. Jennifer enters Mr. Carlson's office and asks Mrs. Carlson if she would like a couple of aspirin. No, thank you, Jennifer. That won't be necessary. All righty. And she tosses the aspirin into her own mouth. 
Mr. Carlson comes into his office as Jennifer is walking out. And I hate it. This is such a fun episode, but we get very little art in this one. The fun is over by the time he shows up. Well, he's surprised to see Mama in his office. Mama asks him where he has been. I stopped by to pick you up. You weren't there. Well, obviously. You were here. Yes, I was here, making a complete fool out of myself. She tells her son she hasn't acted this way in years. He tells her not to worry about it. Up here, everybody makes a fool out of himself, but it's okay. (laughs) He tells Mama he's driven to every florist in town, and he cannot find Violet. Does it have to be Violet? Yes, it does. Remember Mama's story to Jennifer about the first night she and Hank met? No, he had run out of the theater. And bought me a bouquet of lovely little violets from some street vendor. The man was so corny and so completely Midwestern. We were married in six months. It has to be violets. Well, this year we just won't take any. You don't like doing this, do you? I don't like cemeteries, no. But it's important to me. You don't forget a man like your father. Carlson puts his arm out for his mom to take. Yes, ma'am. They walk out the door of Art's office. I understand you're usually in by six. Six what? (laughs) I don't think Mama's buying that story. They walk out of the lobby as Someone to Watch Over Me continues to play. And I think this is an annual thing that Art and his mama do. Yeah, I think it's probably on the anniversary of their meeting. I would bet that's the date. That's I, I, I think, well, they're going to the cemetery, so it could well, be the date of his death as might well. Be, we're might not be sure. As well. And, you know, I just love that one. It was just a tiny little story, took place on just the regular sets. They didn't need the big production values. And it or was in real time. It happened in real time. And just giving these performers a really fun, well-written script, man, can they just make it they a good time. They took it and they did great with it. Yeah. It, was, it was very entertaining. So what is up for next week, Donna? We are going to be discussing the painting. Bailey and Herb attend an auction at Mr. Carlson's church. Bailey loves a painting and Herb ends up buying it. He tries to resell the painting to Bailey, but she can't afford it. Herb finds out that the painting might be valuable and he is thinking of becoming rich. That's going to do it for this episode of the WKRP cast. If you'd like to watch along with us, make sure to check our show notes. Find us on social media. You can follow our Facebook page at WKRPcast. For more WKRP fun, become a patron. Go to patreon.com slash WKRPcast for behind-the-scenes fun, full interviews, and more. Got a question, comment, or correction? Let us know about it. Write us WKRPcast at gmail.com. And remember to please rate and review us on Apple Podcasts. Thanks for listening. Bye, y'all. May the good news be yours. WKRP cast is not endorsed by MTM Enterprises, Shout Factory, or CBS. This podcast is intended for entertainment and informational purposes only. WKRP in Cincinnati, the WKRP logo, and all names, pictures, and audio of WKRP in Cincinnati characters are registered trademarks of MTM, CBS, Shout Factory, or their respective copyright holders. Almost forgot, fellow babies. Booger!